You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. More impeachment fallout, plus the latest on the 2020 campaign trail. And all of this comes as the president's still trying to ink that deal with the U.S. and China phase one in question and Hong Kong. Will President Trump sign the Hong Kong bill legislation? I'll also give you an exclusive interview with Brian Hook, senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We talk all about Iran and how Tehran is blocking out the Internet. What does it mean for big tech companies? Joel Rubens here, Democratic strategist, former deputy assistant secretary of state to former President Obama. And Edgerton returns, Bloomberg Congress editor. And, of course, that interview with Brian Hook. Anna, it's Friday, and what a week Finally. it was. <laughs> Joel, it's Friday. What a week it was. <laughs> Is it over? Uh, yeah, almost. Uh, Don't but, say anything. <laughs> all right, impeachment. Let's let's begin with impeachment. President Trump kicking off the day, speaking on Fox News, uh, saying, that, well, I'm not going to paraphrase the president of the United States. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say earlier today uh, at the White House. At the White House. Here he is. I think we had a uh, tremendous week with the hoax, you know, the great hoax. The, they call it the impeachment hoax. And that's really worked out uh, incredibly well. And we have tremendous support. Uh, Anna, you are no Congress better than anyone in town. How, how, did, he, did he have a good week? I mean, it's true that he has tremendous support among House Republicans. It's been really remarkable to see how Republicans have gone through this process, which you know, there are some complaints that they could rightly make about the way that this has been run, especially from the beginning. There are a lot of complaints about how Adam Schiff has handled, the, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee has handled this. But the, the facts are the facts and it seems like the witnesses I, I hear largely, facts don't matter anymore in 2020 yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. an optimist um, but, but it is remarkable how even House Republicans like Will Hurd for example he's a very bipartisan uh, Republican from Texas going to retire this year and this his closing statement almost that he gave during his time of questioning yesterday it was very clear that he doesn't intend to vote for impeachment, given what we know so far. He just doesn't think what the president has done has risen to the level of an impeachable offense. And if 
Will Hurd still thinks that. I don't think they're going to get any House Republicans to vote to adopt articles of impeachment. I was struck by Nick Wadham's reporting earlier today uh, on the Bloomberg Terminal. His headline piece is called Witnesses Endure Impeachment uh, Storm Clinging to a Sense of Duty. And he noted Fiona Hill's moment the other day when she testified. She's, of course, the former National Security Council senior director. And she says, quote, could I actually say something? All of us who came here under a legal obligation also felt we had a moral obligation to do so. We came as fact witnesses, end quote. Joel Rubin, you've worked in this world. I'm, sure, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm sure you know several of the individuals oh, yeah. who have testified. Put it in perspective for us. Oh, yeah, Kevin. Um, I know the individuals testified. I know some of the members, uh, the staff. I even testified myself several years ago to the Benghazi Committee, yeah. uh, where some of the uh, inquisitors are now running uh, the Trump administration, which to me, of course, uh, demonstrates the, the problem that we've got right now and explains a lot of, of the problems. Uh, in a nutshell, the civil servants are patriots and they're doing their duty because they believe in the Constitution and they believe in the rule of law. And what we just saw this past week and a half or so is uh, the best of America and the worst of America. And we've seen our uh, government our civil servants, the people who go to work every day on our behalf, really demonstrate that they're committed to the United States. And we've seen the political process fail them. And I think that's the big tragedy here, is that our political leadership is in chaos and crisis. We've got a tremendous uh, reservoir of talent and commitment amongst our national security community uh, in this instance. And they're leaderless at the top right now at the White House and, and in Congress and uh, letting them down. And it, it's hurting the United States. I say this as the grandson of a Purple Heart recipient. I say this as someone with a deep respect to the, for the military, as well as someone with a deep respect for individuals like yourself of all different political stripes who have served bravely for their country overseas and in the United States in various different capacities. I look at the polls as a reporter and I look at and I, and I interview Republicans, and I don't see, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see the developments of this week moving this out of the political sphere and into a, a sphere where the president is at significant risk of being removed from office. Well, this is, this is the tragedy, is that uh, the, the incentives are different between the Republicans in both chambers, first and foremost. The incentives for the House Republicans to impeach practically don't exist because the noted Democrats have the votes. So why would they go against their base? But in the Senate, there's a, a, an actual opportunity for a real debate and a real gut check amongst the Republicans and whether or not they really do want to convict. And uh, I agree with you. I, I think that they're looking more at the polls than they are at the actual facts. And the facts are that if this president stays in office with these charges, it is open season on American democracy. And every future president will then feel free to engage whomever around the world they want to ask for support to get reelected, to get elected, to go after their own domestic American political enemies, and to use American taxpayer dollars to do it. And that's the real the real shame in all of this. Joel Rubin's here. He's a Democratic strategist. He has previously served in the State Department for the Obama administration. Anna Edgerton also here, Bloomberg Congress editor. Anna, Republicans would say, well, this has been going on for a long time. Look no further than the former vice president's uh, engagement with Ukraine as it relates to Hunter Biden and Burisma Holdings. Yeah, uh, they say this isn't unique. They say that this swamp that the president campaigned on training has that, and, and 
uh, critics would say he's continued slash intensified. They say that that's been going on for years. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would agree that Hunter Biden's participation in this board is not illegal. He, it appears that he didn't break any laws. It does look super swampy. Um, but <laughs> the, but <laughs> there was one tweet from Thomas Massey. He's a very conservative Republican, but kind of conservative in a libertarian type way. And his tweet, to, to paraphrase it, basically said, this week we saw career public servants who are very dedicated to their mission, believe strongly in what they're doing, and no U.S. election is going to change that, mm. which I thought was really interesting because he was praising these people and their conviction, but also saying that they didn't respect the election, that they you know, pursued their mission as they saw it without respecting the policy set by the president of the United States, well, you m- which, yeah. which you know, was just such a kind of distillation of, I think, how and why Republicans have been able to dismiss some of the very compelling and very kind of concise and passionate and factual testimony that we saw this week. I think that's a brilliant point. I I think Massey's part of the Tea Party wave of members of Congress who basically don't respect the American government and uh, have tried to figure out how to undermine it at every step uh, along the way. And um, unfortunately, uh, the American people will be worse off for it if the government falls I apart. I also think folks outside of the Beltway are, are you know, they're going to be stuck in traffic traveling wherever they are going uh-huh. to next week for Thanksgiving. And they had to sit through a two-hour debate with a million candidates, I'm paraphrasing, and then sit through day after day a testimony, which, by the way, is going on when people have jobs, yeah. people have families to take care of. What they're seeing out of Washington, top-line view, to use a Wall Street term, is chaos, drama. It's, it's, it's like the drama never stops. The president, for his part, talk about a study in contrast to both Anna Edgerton and Joel Rubin's point, is doing a completely different, different, different strategy than former President Bill Clinton, who really kept his head down during impeachment uh, and, and, and worked through it. Well, here's the president in his own words commenting on the whistleblower. Here's President Trump. What whistleblower? I don't think there is. I consider it to be a fake whistleblower because what he wrote didn't correspond to what I said in any way shape or form thank you very much Mr. President so there he is talking about the whistleblower earlier today at the White House then he had more to say (laughs) during a phone call with Fox News on Marie Ivanovich here he is this was an Obama person wouldn't didn't want to hang my picture in the embassy. It's standard as you put the president of the United States picture in an embassy. This was not an angel, this woman, okay? Not an angel, Joel. This woman. Woo-wee, yeah. I, I mean, the, the Yovanovitch smears continue. Is that a quote? Continue. Can we put that in a Bloomberg Terminal story? Quote, <laughs> unquote, woo-wee, said former <laughs> State Department official. Technically Obama. speaking. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you know, and, and, and people wonder why the smear campaign occurred. Um, <laughs> there's the source. And and the disinformation disaster that the president is uh, is uh, evincing is, is really harming all of our ears. And, and frankly... Uh, Fiona Hill yesterday testified to that and blamed the Russians, but she might as well have 
been blaming Donald Trump because he is essentially disinforming the American public. All right, coming up, we're going to talk more policy and politics with two all-stars, Joel Rubin, Anna Edgerton. Also an exclusive interview with Brian Hook, special representative for Iran at the State Department. I also do ask him about the, the, the impeachment. Don't miss that. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I love that song by U2. Such a great song by U2. Uh, Joel Rubens here, Democratic Strategist. Are you a U2 fan? I have always been a U2 fan. You have? What's your favorite U2 album? Since uh, Boy. Wow, what's your favorite YouTube song? Oh God, uh, Zoo Station. Oh wow, so you're you I'm old think, school. You didn't think that was a flop? <laughs> Man, I was in college back then. It wow. was great. Wow, <laughs> I'm taking you back. Uh, Anna Edgerton, my colleague, my friend, the legendary Bloomberg Congress editor. Uh, what's your? Are you a YouTube fan? I mean, kind of like. <gasps> but are you more of like an EDM person or like a classical Beethoven? Oh, don't judge me, country. I love country. Why okay. would I judge you? I'm from North Carolina. Sam Hunt having a rough day of it. Yeah. Did you see that on the. No, I didn't. He's going, you also he know I'm the least pop culture person in the world. So you I know. You ask told me today in the hallway that she doesn't know who the Kardashians are. No, I know. Who, you asked me about Can't someone's ex husband. I know who the Kardashians are. No, I asked are. you about Scott Disick because I. Never I know. Mind. We're not going. <laughs> I who that All was. right, let's stick to trade policy. How's that for a pivot, Bloomberg? <laughs> ask me about Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with. Well, no, actually, we're going to. Uh, what, President Trump uh, spoke today earlier at the uh, White House, and you know he was asked about uh, he was asked about China and U.S. China trade deal, and and really where things stand. Remember, December fifteenth is this key deadline, this key deadline for when additional tariffs could go against. Uh, the billions of dollars worth of Chinese goods that are coming in, the situation in Hong Kong that you alluded to flaring up. Here's President Trump on where things stand with phase one of the U.S.-China trade deal. The China deal is coming along very well. It's a question of whether or not I want to make it. And he also was asked about Hong Kong and whether or not the U.S. supports Hong Kong in an interview earlier with Fox News. Here he is. We have to stand with Hong Kong, but I'm also standing with President Xi. He's a friend of mine. He's an incredible guy. We have to stand, but I'd like to see them work it out, okay? We have to see them work it out. But I stand with Hong Kong. I stand with freedom. I stand with all of the things that we want to do, but we also are in the process of making the largest trade deal in history. 
So that quote, I was pretty jaw-dropping after this week covering Congress because Republican senators have really really been leading the charge to take a tough stance with China, not just about Hong Kong, but also about the situation with the Uyghurs and in in Western China. And the the trade deal that the president originally wanted to strike with China was going to kind of reshape China's economic practice to be more fair and more beneficial to the global to global production chain to the American companies. The fact that he's now saying that Xi Jinping is my friend, which is not necessarily surprising because he calls a lot of foreign leaders his friend, but that's not how you strike trade deals. And that's also not what Xi Jinping is saying about him. Xi Jinping is looking at this in a very cold and calculating way to see what he can get, what he can use from leverage. And the Chinese officials are very much not happy about this legislation that passed unanimously in the Senate and with losing only one Republican vote. In From the an House. objective standpoint, Joel, traditionally presidents have never negotiated trade deals in a vacuum, decoupling foreign policy and economic policy. The president's comments today suggest that he is, that he is viewing the U.S.-China trade deal and de- independently and in a vacuum removed from human rights abuses of China against Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, I spent two weeks in China in April, actually. I was there not so long ago, and it is a phenomenal country in many ways, but you can feel the repression. It's in the street. It's everywhere. And and as an American, as someone who believes in free markets and democracy, uh, I believe those two go hand in hand. And uh, our foreign policy... Uh, can walk and chew gum at the same time. Oh, everyone says that this week. That's the second yeah. time. We are banning that phrase. I, it, 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 I should have a true. buzzer. Christine well, brought our EP. I'm going to get a buzzer. Every time someone says walking and chewing gum at the same time. Am I time. a stereotype? Can I have that for Congress too? <laughs> <laughs> right? You would, you no would have a headache. Chewing, though. Sorry. No gum chewing. I, no, sorry. but look, this Every is. Look, no, if you want to have a vibrant, creative economy, and we do certainly in this country, you have to allow people to actually use their brains. And uh, that means allowing them to not be kneecapped in terms of their ability to express themselves. In Hong Kong, its economy is getting killed right now. Uh, largely because of the the heavy hand being pushed down on it from Beijing. And uh, the president's making a a false equivalency, a false choice, so to speak, and and really uh, denigrating the idea of of independence and and of of freedom. But also, this brings up another question on China in in this view from the lens of what happened this week. What is China going to offer the president now to get a deal? Now that uh, he, they know it's open season, one can offer anything like Ukraine to dig up dirt. We remember that he did ask China to help out with Joe Biden. So maybe there's more gifts to be given and the yeah, Hong Kong people just have to deal with it. I mean, respectfully, I think President Xi, with all due respect to President Xi, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, he's, he's really, clear-eyed. Ah, I think he's well. He's not looking at the Democrats who are in Atlanta on the stage in Atlanta, no. uh, because I heard tariffs, tariffs, tariffs yeah. from all of the Democratic candidates. So this, this, yes, I mean, yes, we're an incredibly polarized, cable news centric political system right now, but there is a lot that unites Americans behind all political stripes. And on, from an economic standpoint, you know, big business might not like this, but Elizabeth Warren's advocating for tariffs uh, at where they make sense, and that progressive even if she doesn't become president, or if she does, that tariff tool is going to be in the toolbox of negotiations with President Xi. Oh, 
I think that says more about how President Trump has scrambled traditional ideological alliances because Republicans traditionally have opposed tariffs and wanted to open global markets as much as possible. So the fact that President Trump is now the champion of tariffs is really adopting more of a traditional Democratic position and using that as a tool to exact foreign policy and economic policy. The Chamber of Commerce is like shivering. I was but, struck, but if I, I can yeah. add the the, you can add anything. I, I I will say you know he he's getting hit hard in the Midwest. The tariffs are having an impact on his base, and he will want to deliver gifts before the election. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to be sitting on these tariffs Without through Everson, next election. Without Wisconsin poll that has him beating Biden, has him beating all of the other top tier candidates is remarkable. And now mm-hmm. Democrats that I talked to today questioned the sampling size and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to see him up in a key battleground state. Uh, like that. To hear him say in the Fox News interview that he might veto the uh, the Hong Kong bill was remarkable for many reasons, as we have discussed. But when I was talking to folks earlier today about that, they said, well, there's a veto-proof majority in Congress. It would, it would allow, should that happen, should, should Congress override the president's veto on the Hong Kong bill, it allows for the president to say to it allows for the president to say to uh, President Xi that, well, I didn't want to do it. Speaker Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, they wanted to do it. I'm an independent. I'm Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, little Marco. Uh, they wanted to do it, not me. Yeah, and that's true. And I think that he could use that in his trade negotiation, trading negotiation with the, with the Chinese. But as far as domestic policy goes, it's not a, look, a good look to have his first veto override happen as this impeachment process is going out. And you know, I'll say foreign policy is one place where Republicans have really been willing to push against this president, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's Russia or Yemen or Turkey. And this is another example of that. And if they actually get to overriding his veto, which I think they would do if he ends up vetoing this, this legislation, it's not it's not a good look for him domestically. And I think one reason why foreign policy is an area where it's comfortable for Republicans to push against the president is because that's one area that is not as personal for the American for many American voters. And it's not an, you know, those aren't necessarily issues that people feel um, at home and in their in their daily lives. And don't forget the trade deals have to be approved by Congress. And uh, not any, this one, not the Chinese trade, not the deal. China not, not this one, one yeah. but anything USMCA. Which I'm surprised. Yeah. No, no, but but I don't these, necessarily Japan, believe MCA, these are these are right out there in the horizon. I don't. Do you think that he can get that that the president can really bypass congressional approval from from the the, the, the other largest economy in the world, which is China? Right. <sighs> well, the way You've the deal to get Congress the, on board. the way the deal is set up is that it's removing tariffs that he put on. Right. So. Congress has delegated that authority right, to him. Yeah. So it's up to him whether or not he wants to remove the tariffs. And, you know, it started out as this big comprehensive deal. Now we're just talking about phase one, which appears to be the only phase. So while Trump is asking China to buy more agricultural products from the United States, China is asking him to remove the tariffs. So it's basically going back to status quo before this trade wow. war started. Ain't that funny? Hey, what is it? <laughs> Go around in a circle. I don't, there's a quote there. Uh, I'm a huge country music fan, Anna Edgerton. Thank Keith you. Urban is one of my all-time favorite musical artists, and he's a great person great. and does a lot for the world. Uh, thank. Uh, coming up, much more 
from the panel, plus what's on their radar, and an exclusive interview with Brian Hook at the State Department. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm country music fan Kev, so really <laughs> chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. That's Keith Urban, the legendary Keith Urban, my first country music album. Uh, before we talk more music with our all-star panel, let's first get to that interview with Brian Hook, special envoy to Iran at the State Department, a senior advisor to... Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, there's been so many different developments with regards to Israel, Iran, obviously, and of course the impeachment inquiry. I began the interview for Bloomberg Television with Brian Hook about Bibi Netanyahu and how that investigation and the indictments over in Israel are impacting U.S. foreign policy. Here's Brian Hook. We are monitoring it. Jared Kushner and I were in Israel just a few weeks ago and met both with Prime Minister Netanyahu and with Benny Gantz, had good conversations with them, mostly in the context of the Middle East uh, peace process, but also countering Iranian aggression. And so I think there is a desire uh, for all parties to avoid a third election, if possible. But we'll have to see what how that develops. Meanwhile, in Iran, there has been these pro-Ayatollah protests. They've been chanting, quote-unquote, death to America. How has the administration been reacting to this? Are there going to be additional sanctions? There are going to be additional sanctions. And in fact, today we are sanctioning the Minister of Communications and Technology, who is in charge of the Internet in Iran. Uh, the regime was able to impose a total shutdown of the Internet. And so today, the Treasury Department will be sanctioning that minister. One of the things we've also done is over the last year and a half, we have uh, facilitated the deployment of technologies that allow the Iranian protesters to communicate and to get videos to the outside world, even when the regime shuts down the Internet. You know, I'm struck by this because even as Iran has shut down the Internet, there are actually government leaders there that are using Twitter, that are using social media platforms uh, in the midst of all of this. Right. Kevin, it is a deeply hypocritical regime. It shuts down the Internet while its government continues to use all of these social media accounts. So one of the things that we are calling on are social media companies like Facebook and Instagram uh, uh, to Twitter sh- and Twitter to shut down the accounts of Supreme Leader Khamenei, the Foreign Minister Zarif, and President Rouhani until they restore the internet to their own people. Right now, the regime has shut down the internet because they're trying to hide all of the death and tragedy that the regime has been inflicting on thousands of internet, uh, thousands of protesters around the country. So we would like to see social media companies suspend these accounts. Have, has the State Department been in contact with big tech companies on this on this particular matter? Uh, we have, yes. And so, what what do you anticipate that they're going to to follow through on that, or what is the timeline on that? I mean, there's a domestic issue with big tech companies and freedom of speech, but on international issues, this has been something uh, that's an entirely separate matter. Well, when you have a government that shuts down the internet, but then continues to use the internet, we think that social media companies should make a statement 
and oppose it. And, and one of the best ways to do that is to, is to suspend the accounts until they turn the Internet back on. Uh, meanwhile, the, uh, just beyond that, the, the government, the U.S., the Trump administration has also set up, as you were alluding to, some different channels, some VPN, for example, as it relates to Iran. What can you tell us about how the State Department, how the Trump administration has been trying to, to alleviate that situation? We have made exemptions from our sanctions regime to facilitate technology companies who would like to get certain technologies into the hands of the Iranian people in the event that the government tries to limit their ability to uh, communicate with each other and to get their videos and stories to the outside world. And so, for example, there's one technology outline that Jigsaw developed that allows, um, it's a very trusted sort of um, VPN, and it allows Iranians to then invite people that in their network to then join it. And then that would give them the ability to communicate with each other and then to also um, get their videos. We've seen thousands of videos that have been uh, sent outside of Iran of regime brutality, even while the Internet's been shut down. And so we know that tens of thousands of Iranians have used the technologies that we've deployed to communicate among themselves and outside of Iran. On the issue of the Internet, of big tech companies, of social media, historically speaking, over the past decade or so, we've seen social media be utilized as, as a pro-democratic way for protesters to, to organize, mm -hmm. to, to, to share uh, their ideals and messaging. Uh, to see Iran and Tehran to, to, to use that in a different way that's very troubling. It is an unprecedented uh, instance, what happened over the last few days when uh, the uh, Iranian regime was able to completely shut down the Internet. And so um, we had protests in Iran in 2017 and 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, we supported the Iranian people then. We support them now. After those protests last year, we did an inventory of lessons learned. We're going to have to do one after this as well in light of the regime's ability to shut down the Internet and I think out of that, we'll get smarter about uh, defeating the regime's attempts to silence its own people. Brian, I have to ask you just this one final question. Obviously, we're talking foreign policy, but so much of the State Department has been uh, wrapped up in this impeachment inquiry hearings. Has that impacted at all uh, your ability to do your job? Hasn't had any effect at all. We're still delivering results for the American people. Uh, Secretary Pompeo and I have been uh, laser-focused on all the threats uh, to peace and security uh, uh, that Iran presents, not only to the Middle East, but to the United States. That work will continue. Uh, we sanctioned an Iranian uh, senior official today. More sanctions will come, and we're very hopeful um, that at some point <clears throat> the regime is going to decide to come back to the negotiating table and work with the United States on a new deal. That was Brian Hook, special representative for Iran at the State Department. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Joel Rubin and Anna Edgerton. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests here are Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg Congress Editor, Joel Rubin, Democratic Strategist and former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State in the Obama White House, and his, son, his daughter Bhavna, who is 
His nine-year-old all-star daughter, who's a legendary in the making gymnast. We're thrilled to have her here in the studio hanging out with us as well. All right, it's time now for my favorite segment, which is what's on the panel's radar. Joel, what's on your radar? Bibi Netanyahu going to jail. Ooh. Or maybe, maybe not, but definitely that's on the radar. He was indicted. If you weren't following the story, what, what are the developments of the last 24 hours? So basically, Netanyahu was indicted for bribery and some other uh, sordid charges, and he is clinging to power and arguing that he will fight the indictments, and he is trying to rally his base within the Likud party to keep him at the top slot while he's trying to negotiate a new government, which is unlikely, meaning they may get new elections. Crazy. And it's a big mess. As they say in Hebrew, it's a, a balagan is the uh, word. Uh, uh, oh, no. <laughs> uh, um, what, does, what does it mean for U.S.-Israeli relations? Uh, ultimately, the relationship is America and Israel, not uh, America and Netanyahu or Trump and Netanyahu. And uh, I think Trump will move away from Netanyahu if he has to as well, which uh, is a uh, a little uh, undertone to all of this. But uh, for Israel, they can't afford to have a crisis at the top. The region is in collapse. Syria is a hornet's nest of threats. Iran is continuing to advance. And uh, the Israeli public, they have had successive uh, political uh, deadlocks. Uh, but this is new. This is unique. They have never had a sitting prime minister indicted. And uh, the paralysis is very dangerous for their security. Is, are you concerned at all that the indictment of Netanyahu will embolden some of the anti-Semitic rhetoric that we've heard from a few members of Congress and also the anti-Israeli sentiment that has really been running rampant through a certain faction of the Democratic Party? I think what it does is, and, and we even saw this the other night in the Democratic debate when Bernie Sanders, a prominent Jewish member of Congress, spoke out about the need for rights for the Palestinians and got applause. Uh, I think that we're seeing a, a, a deep disaffection right now in, in American politics towards Israel. There's uh, a concern about Israel support, but very much, especially amongst Democrats, concern about the Netanyahu-Trump relationship and a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a enjoyment in watching Netanyahu indicted in a parallel way to Trump getting impeached potentially. Uh, but that's not good for the relationship. That's not good for Israel. I've got a lot of family there on a personal level of lived there for over a year of my life, care deeply about the country, and political paralysis and collapse is never healthy for a democracy. Well, that's, we're, we're appreciative of your comments on Israel uh, as that being on your radar. Appreciate that, Joel Rubin. Anna Edgerton, what's on your radar? Uh, first of all, what I could possibly cook for Thanksgiving for my vegan father-in-law. What are you going to um, cook? For, what do vegans eat for Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm going to try to make our broccoli casserole vegan-fied, um, which is going to be tough. Cory um, Booker's a vegan. I, I, I realize that. Right before I interviewed it's him once for, for Bloomberg Television, I said he's from Jersey. I grew up outside of Philly. And I said, oh, I love, we're kind of from the same area. Like, where do you get your cheesesteaks? And he, like, he was like, well, there's a really good vegan cheesesteak place in Philly. And I was very and confused. That doesn't count. Um, I have nothing against vegans, by the way. I, I, I'm mostly I, vegetarian. I've been for 10 years. But, you know. Anyway, Corey um, Booker's a vegan. Go ahead. Besides what's going to be on the Thanksgiving menu, which I'm hosting for the first time. Um, Congrats. Thanks. Um, Pressure's on. I know. I'm a grown-up. Um, <laughs> um, when it comes to Congress, I'm going to be looking at the next steps for impeachment. And one big question to ask ask is whether or not the Intelligence Committee is going to call more witnesses. You know, we had a huge slate of witnesses over the past two weeks, and we're not, we don't know if they're done yet or if they're going to try to call more people, either for private depositions next week or even possibly for more public hearings when Congress is back in session the following week. If the Intelligence Committee is done, that means we could be going to the phase where the committees pre present articles of impeachment to the Judiciary Committee, and the Judiciary Committee would then 
hold hearings on those articles and also give Trump and his counsel an opportunity to present their defense. So it will also be very interesting to see how the White House engages with the process. They kind of have two options. One, engage and present a, as robust of a, a defense as they can, or to discount the process as totally partisan as something they don't want to participate in. Interesting. You know what's on my radar? What's on your radar, Kevin? Jealous. Coldplay. <laughs> Did you guys see this? One of my, uh, no. one of my, another favorite band of mine. I'm a huge music person. Uh, Coldplay is delaying their tour for their new album until they're able to make their tour carbon neutral. Oh, Corey Booker would appreciate that. Yeah. Well, that shouldn't be that hard. According to the Hills in the No blog, in an interview with the BBC, Chris Martin, the band's awesome, that's my injection, yes. lead singer, says that the group will spend the next year or two working out how to make their, tour, their album tour carbon neutral. We've done a lot of big tours at this point, he said to the BBC. How can we harness the resources that our tour creates and make it have a positive a great idea. impact? Interesting. Chris Martin, Coldplay. I love Coldplay. They are. I'm gonna listen to them. I'm going. I'm trying to go home to Philly this weekend because uh, I just <laughs> can't get enough of Delco. Um, <laughs> thanks, Joel. Would you come back? Absolutely. You were this here twice great. today. You were Brilliant. here with the Lord. Yes, the Lord. And, and thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. Good luck with preparing everything. Thanks everybody for listening. See you Monday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Have a great weekend. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.